0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for braving the, uh, the blizzard that is outside to, to make it here this morning. Um, we're going to be on Lesson 5, talking about the incommunicable attributes of God this morning. Uh, if you haven't gotten a handout, there's some on this chair right here, and I'll go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll dive right in. God, as we approach the subject of you this morning and desire to understand you more and to know you more, we ask for your help. You are too great for us. You are too high. You are too majestic and holy and wonderful for us to comprehend, and yet you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word, through creation, and we we, we praise your name for that. You deserve all glory. Help us to approach your word with awe, open up the scriptures to us so that we we may know you better, and allow your word to transform us and conform us to the image of your Son. Be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we're, we're talking about the incommunicable attributes of God um, I must confess, just to start off with that, this is a, a really hard and complex subject to talk about. Um, after doing some, some prep work, I felt like I should put on one of those tinfoil hats um, just to try to keep my brain from exploding. And in truth, when we're talking about the, specifically the incommunicable attributes of God, um, there should be a sense in which we just, we don't get it. We, we can't fully ever understand the depths and heights and breadth and scope of who God is. Um, And yet he chose to reveal himself to us um, in in a number of different ways. So even as we seek to understand him through his word this morning, um, we should remember that uh, as we're we're reading and uh, looking at verses and passages, that there will just be aspects that are just really hard to comprehend or grasp. Um, I thought it'd be helpful, even as we, we start to think about this, just to ask a question. When you think of before the beginning, before Genesis one one, the heavens and the earth, what do you imagine? What do you picture when you think of God existing and being before He made anything? What what, what picture pops into your head? You can feel free to answer this. You said whiteness and nothing. You said blankness. So, so darkness and, and nothing is just God? Okay. Anyone else? Before the heavens and the earth began, what, what do you picture in your mind? And it's helpful to sit there and think about that for a, sec- a second because everything we talk about God was true before he made the heavens and the earth. Everything we share now was true about God before um, in the beginning, and so when we start to try to imagine God before that, we we start to imagine him without a lot of the things we see around him that we use as lenses for who God is. Um, You know, people think of darkness and and God just dwelling amidst amidst that and um, God existing in in a point or area uh, of space and, and time that he created, but... Even the concept of time did not exist until God made it. So when we think of ages past and God existing for eternity, well, there was no eternity because he had not even created time yet. When we think of the bounds of space and God existing in, this, in a universe, in a cosmos, that's not even true because God had not set the limits on existence and space yet. So even as we think about, um, scientists talk about the, how big the universe is Um, That did not exist. There was no space. God existed before that and above that. He made that so that we could exist and dwell in that. And so as we as we go through um, a lot of these, just think about the fact that what we're talking about is true of God. And he made them for us to even be able to comprehend who he is. So um, next week, we're going to be talking about the communicable attributes of God. But just to understand the difference. Um, you can look at that, that top section there. The incommunicable attributes of God are those that make him utterly unique and are not found or found only in small traces in creation. To put it briefly, the incommunicable attributes are those less shared by us and the communicable are more shared by us. So as we think about um, God's, God's graciousness and, and mercy um, even his holiness, those are some of the things that we can share and part with God. But what we talk about today is wholly unique um, and only can be ascribed to um, the God of the universe. Isaiah 40, 25 26. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And so, through uh, yeah, the inspiration of spirit, Isaiah here um, speaks about God, um, using words that God gave him, for us to just get a glimmer of how we should see the Holy One, the Great God. Um, Someone else put it like this: Shaolin, uh, his control is absolute. He lets the spotlight shine, and his holy attributes stretch the finite mind. And so, our minds are finite. We only have so much of a, capac- a capacity to understand God, and yet we will be stretched as we think about who God is. It may seem like I'm belaboring the point, but it's important for us to understand as we approach who God is that this is hard, and it will stretch us. Um, I've listed here 14 different incommunicable attributes of God. Um, Certainly you can talk about less and spend more time. You could even uh, possibly highlight some more that might exist. But this will be a good start for us, and we'll see how many we can get through. Um, What we will endeavor is to talk about uh, that attribute. We'll um, give a framework for it, go through some verses. And then if there are any questions or even comments or reflections, Um, We can share those. So the first thing we'll talk about is God being sovereign. God being sovereign. I would do all that I please. Um, Can someone turn to Psalm 135.6 and someone else pick up Ephesians 1.11? So Psalm 135.6 and Ephesians 1.11. And we talk about God being sovereign. uh, We need to think that God is the supreme being of the universe God precedes and is above all things, everything that exists is under God's rule and authority. Everything that exists is under God's rule and authority. Can someone read uh, Psalm 135-6? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does.
1: Heaven
0: earth and sees in all Thank you. Um, in Isaiah forty-six ten it says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Uh, can someone read the Ephesians one eleven passage? In them we have obtained the earth, the and then Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will, among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So those are just a few of the verses that talk about God being sovereign and uh, his dominion and rule and authority and power over all things. And even when we think about the, the the word sovereign and how we might see it today, we think of sovereign rulers, you know, kings and, and, and presidents and those that rule over lands. And they call themselves sovereign and they You know, they can make an edict, they can say something, and that becomes law. Um, And it's really funny that we would even place that that, that word to talk about them, because even in the quote-unquote sovereignty of earthly rulers, they issue something and then must wait for someone else to carry it out. They must wait for others to comply with what is said. And that's not true sovereignty. True sovereignty is all power and dominion such that um, by your very will or desire that something happens, it happens. God cannot will something and it not occur immediately upon his desire. Whatever he desires and wishes, it happens without any delay upon his will. I mean, without any uncertainty of it happening. And so his sovereignty is distinct and unique um, above what we consider to be sovereign here. Um, even think about, you know, me, uh, you, you hear men are in, in charge of the house. And let me tell you, sovereign I am not when it comes to uh, telling the kids, hey, can you, I, I want you to do this. Well, there is a 50-50 chance in that moment they may listen and do what I say or even hear what I've, I've said. And yet God, the moment he said, let there be light, there was light. So he is sovereign um, overall. Any, any comments or reflections on the sovereignty of God, when you think about that um, as an attribute of, of His? Good. Well then we will go on to the next one. God being omnipotent, God being omnipotent. Is anything too hard for the Lord. Can someone get to or read Genesis 18:14? Genesis 18:14? And when we think about the omnipotence of God, we'll say that God is not just the most powerful being in all existence, he has all power able to accomplish his will, though unwilling to do anything contrary to his nature. God is not just the most powerful being in all existence, he has all power able to accomplish his will. So, as we're talking about sovereign, we're talking about his authority. And power over everything, um, his, his control over all existence. Omnipotence is talking about his power, his ability to affect change um, immediately in the world. Can someone read uh, the Genesis eighteen fourteen passage? Anything is anything the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, Sarah so that. so that particular passage is talking about um, Abraham and, and Sarah. And them desiring to have a child and and not being able to. And yeah, the statement is that, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. So God has the power of life and death. Um, He has the power of creation. Um, He has all power. And so anything that he wants to occur can occur. Um, Augustine says it like this in his confessions. God is the absolute sovereign ruler of the universe. If anything were to ever happen apart from his rule and decree, then he wouldn't be omnipotent. So God's sovereignty is displayed in his omnipotence, and his omnipotence shows he is sovereign. So you see them somewhat tied together here, and all of his attributes um, work together perfectly, um, showing who he is. Um, so God's sovereignty is displayed in his omnipotence. Um, he has the power and ability to do whatever he desires. Um, any questions or comments about God's omnipotence? It's very true. And when we think about the attributes of God, we have a tendency to highlight and dwell on the particular ones that we like best, that we think impacts us more, when that's really not how we should think of God. His attributes are all equally seen in who He is. He is, um, it's not that God is the sum of His attributes, He is His attributes. Um, they blend and are Him perfectly all at once in balance of who he is. And so when we think about God's mercy or, or righteousness um, more than his omnipotence, sometimes I, I think it, what you're talking about, it has the effect of shrinking God in our minds and his, his awesomeness and his ability to control and affect all things. So yeah, as we, as we think about God, his mercy, that, that makes God more approachable to us. But as we'll see later on, God dwells in unapproachable light. Um, And we should really see him as the God that, in the blink of an eye, could wipe you from existence. And not that you were here and gone, that no, you never existed. God has that level of power. Um, It's funny, you think of the Bible passage in the Old Testament where um, the Israelites were fighting. And um, at God's command, the sun stands still in the sky. For how long? Anybody remember how long it stood still? I think it was 12 hours, um, I think, that the sun stood still in the sky. Um, and, and scientists have, have remarked on that passage. that, well, you know, if, the, if the earth stopped spinning, everyone would instantly fling off of the planet because just that force would cause them to, to fly off. And yet God, at his pleasure, did that. It's not, it's not conjecture. It's not some kind of picture or analogy. God caused the earth to stop and the sun to stand still. Um, And you can read through the Bible just other awesome things that he did, and they occurred by his power. So God truly is able to do anything that he desires. Any other comments on God's omnipotence? All right, next we'll talk about God's omniscience, God's omniscience. Can someone turn to Psalm 139, 1 through 6? Psalm 139, 1 through 6. We talk about God's omniscience God knows everything of the past, present, and future. God knows everything actual and potential. Not only does God know all things, God also cares about everything and everyone. God also cares about everything and everyone. So we only have a certain capacity to know things and an even smaller capacity to care about them. Um, There are probably a dozen different facts floating around in your brain right now that you know and could care little about, which you possibly did not know um, were floating around your head. And yet God knows everything at once, both that exists right now, that will happen, that potentially could happen. He cares about every detail of his creation, of your life, even your thoughts that he knows he cares about. First Kings uh, 8.39 says, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive And act and render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Can someone read the Psalm 139 passage? And even in looking at that passage, um, we see the psalmist reflect on God. Uh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Um, just confessing God's intimate knowledge of who he is. So um, we regularly think about God knowing everything of existence and um, knowing every hair on our head, knowing every blade of grass, knowing every animal that's created. But think about it for a second. God knows every single cell, molecule, Um, Adam within your body he knows every thought in your mind in this moment in this moment in this moment he knows them he knows what you will think before you think it he knows you infinitely and intimately more than you could ever know yourself and so when we just spend a moment and think about God's omniscience over us um, we should have that same reaction that the psalmist has here um, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So when we think about omniscience and how um, uniquely God that is. Um, we don't even have the capacity to think about truly what omniscience is because our realm of knowledge is confined to such a small degree. Um, and so I, I think Spending time and dwelling on God's omniscience, as sp- specifically as it relates to you and him knowing you, is just a, a helpful um, yeah, practice to have. Because as you sit and unpack yourself and your thoughts that you might be having and feelings, God knows them. Um, and that should also make us uniquely aware as we um, struggle against sin and, and um, thoughts that we have that God knows those intimately. Um, and so that should make us yeah. Think of God and, and how he is viewing our thoughts, but also run to him for his help, because he is the only one as, as the one that uniquely knows us, who is able to help us deal with and combat sin and the lives that we might have. So God's omniscience um, should lead us to seek him because he knows us um, better than we can know ourselves. Proverbs three nineteen through 20 says the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. So, any comments or reflections on God's omniscience? Any comments, reflections on God's omniscience? Yeah. So, um, and, and that's a that's an interesting concept. So. If you think about it, there are in reality and here, here's where you get really um, really hard to comprehend there are no alternate paths of what may happen because only what God decrees will happen so and, and in one sense there's no this could occur or that could occur only one thing will ever happen and that's exactly what God wills. Um, so when we think about you know how does God know what potentially could happen. We see that in his word when he provides warning to his people of, if you do this, this will happen, and they're allowed to turn from it. So in those moments, God says, hey, this is the path that you could take if you acted this way. You will still do according to God's will because he is sovereign, he's omnipotent, um, but that's the way in which he reveals to us, you know, possibilities. So they're most commonly seen in our actions. And in truth, we're all living witnesses to that because apart from the saving work of Christ God's sovereignty and our redemption you would spend eternity um, under his wrath and under his judgment Um, so that is a quote unquote possibility yet God being rich in mercy and love and grace and being omnipotent has a sovereign power and ability to uh, predestine us to salvation so that's kind of how we can see that does that kind of answer your question Any other thoughts or reflections on God's um, omniscience? All right, good. We're we're, we're trucking along here. We'll talk about God's omnipresence, which is really, really one of those ones that I'm still like, wow, how how do I even put a bucket for this? Um, God's omnipresence. Can someone turn to Jeremiah 23, verses 23 through 24? And someone else grab 2 Chronicles 2.6. So um, as we think about God's omnipresence, God is always present in all places, but God is not in all things. It's called pantheism. So God is always present in all places. So whether you are sitting here this morning, whether you're out in your car, whether you are sleeping in your bed, um, whether you are. the space station, whether you are in a submarine, God is in all of those places and everywhere else we potentially could not be, um, but he's not in all things. So God is not in a tree. He's not in a drop of water. um, God is not in a person until that person is born anew of God's spirit and through faith and faith in Jesus Christ. And even in thinking about God's omnipresence, that's where um, you might see a lot of kind of the pantheism or worship of creation, idols, um, worship of the, the spirits and things that might come from just seeing God in all things. And that sh- that's just not what he is. He's present everywhere, but he is not in all things. Can someone read the Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24 verse verses? Can someone read the uh, Second Chronicles passage? Psalm
1: 139,
0: 7-12 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield... You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness as as light with you. So God is everywhere. Just put it simply. God is everywhere. Um, you can go nowhere that God is not and God does not see what is happening. Um, Charles Octavius Booth in his book, Plain Theology for Plain People, says the omnipresence of God appears in the activities of nature. It appears in the supervisions of providence. It appears in the voice of conscience and it appears in the conquest of righteousness. So in all of those different areas, um, not just in space, but even in reality, even in the voice of the spirit in our heads, God is there. Um, And so it's it's good to think about God's omnipresence um, because it helps us to get that framework of I can't go anywhere without knowing God is there. And sometimes we are quick to forget that. So we will go about our days and we'll be doing whatever it is we're doing and we'll forget God is there in that moment. And his omniscience and his omnipresence just really shine, shine a light in every moment that we exist, that God is here with me right now, and he knows exactly what I'm thinking. As you go throughout your day this week, um, as you're working, as you are, and when you wake up in the morning, think about this, God is here with me right now, and he knows exactly what I'm doing. Um, this kind of begs the question that we, we inevitably come to, is God in hell? Is God in hell? He won't care to. Take a stab at that. Is God in hell? No. No? Why? Why would you say that? Okay. Anyone else? Comment or feedback on that? Revelation fourteen verse ten. He, talking about those that um, are apart from Christ, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. In hell, all you will know is God's wrath of judgment. In hell, you, all you will know is God's wrath of judgment. So God, hell is a place that God made, and he is there. Um, I've I've regularly in the past talked when I've talked about hell, talked about, you know, the worst part, the worst thing about hell is being separated from God. Um, In one sense that's true, but it's separated from God's mercy and his love and the capacity um, for abatement um, of God's judging, his judgment on you, his wrath. But hell is a place that God made. He dwelt. There is not a place that exists that God is not there. So hell is a place of God's continuous wrath. That is all those are in hell will experience for all eternity I'm um, God's wrath, which is really hard to think about and dwell on. Um, but it is, it is a reality that that is all that people in hell will see is his wrath. But he is still there. Hell belongs to God. When we, in, in common culture, we see pictures of, of Satan on his throne sitting in hell, ruling and reigning and it being his dominion. No. Hell is a place God made and prepared for Satan and the fallen angels. So it is his, he, he rules and has sovereignty even over hell itself. So once again, there is not a place in existence um, that God is not present in and does not have authority over. Any, any comments about God and hell or um, his omnipresence? All right. Next, let's keep going. God's transcendence, God's transcendence. Can someone read uh, Job 37, 23? Job 37, 23. When we talk about God's transcendent, transcendence, God transcends all creation is, and is unknowable apart from his self-initiated revelation. His self-initiated revelation. What we know about God comes only through God's revelations, both general and special. We think about, about God's general revelations, we think about Um, The world, nature, Romans 1, reminds us that, um, yeah, God. we can see God even in all of creation, so we have no reason to um, deny his existence. His special revelation, which is his word, so he has um, specifically revealed himself to us um, through his word, but we also see God in all things that he has created. Um, Can someone read the Job 37 verse? And so, yeah, that, that verse highlights um, we cannot find him. God is beyond our reach. Um, and so as we think about God, and we'll talk about um, kind of another attribute of that in a second, we talk about his imminence. Em- but in, in, in a very real sense, God transcends um, anything that we could comprehend, that he is unapproachable um, because he is so high and lifted up and above us. The First Timothy six fifteen and um, sixteen passage says, "Which he will display at the proper time. He was blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of love, uh, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be glory, uh, to him be honor in eternal dominion. Amen." Um, we think about uh, the other passage in Exodus thirty three. Um, and you might have remembered this this account of um, Moses desiring to see God, and God's like, "No, you're to see me dead. You 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 could not do that. Um, I will allow you to hide in this rock, and I'll pass behind so you can see my back. And that's about all that he could um, see. And so it, it, I think it's it's helpful for us, especially in a culture where we yeah you know, once again we we minimize God and make Him smaller, um, and, and we think of God as as you know, our, our friend and, and easy, accessible, attainable, there's still a very real sense that God is transcendent and above us, um, and we should approach him with a right amount of reverence. Um, God is holy, um, which is another attribute, and he is set apart, and, and truly we see that in his transcendence, his, his being above us. And any comments on that before we move on to the, uh, the next one? So even as we talk about God's transcendence, um, we also talk about God's eminence. Um, can someone uh, we're going to read all three of these. Someone uh, turn to Jeremiah 23:23? 23, 23. Again, we, we referenced that before, we'll read it again. Uh, can someone read Colossians 1:17 and then someone else, Psalm 145:18. Psalm 145:18. So when we talk about God's eminence, God is active in this world and our daily lives. God cares about every aspect of our existence and invites us to welcome his guidance, grace, and love. So God is transcendent. He is high above us. Um, He is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light, and yet he is present in what he has created. He is present. He cares. He is a God that's near. Uh, can someone read the Jeremiah 23, 23 passage? All right, Colossians 117.
1: He is the and, has old faithful, he
0: and then Psalm 145, 18. So when we think of those, those three passages, we hear here, um, we see God is a God at hand. So he's present. He's not, um, he is not far away. Uh, the Colossians 117, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And then finally, uh, the Lord is near to all who call. We see a God who is present and active in creation. Um, throughout time, there's been kind of different iterations of this deism um, where we think of the clockmaker God, right? God made all things. So some people will say, okay, well, God made all things, and he made the rules that govern um, all of creation, and then he stepped back and is allowing things to just play out. You know, we're just all um, following this, this pre, pre-set-up world, and there's just a lot of flexibility in, in everything that can happen. And we just, we just don't see that in Scripture. God is imminent and present, um, and everything that exists. In fact, He holds all things. So um, there is not a snowflake that falls, even as we're um, seeing that fall outside. There's not a snowflake that falls that God um, is not imminent and near and, and involved with being created and falling down. So He is an imminent, He's he a God that is at hand. And, he, and that really should cause us to, to think about how much God cares about creation. Um, I, I mentioned before, we only have a certain capacity to care about the things that happen around us. Um, and how can we comprehend a God that cares about all things at all times? You know, just, just think about that. Um, God cares about the things that happen to us that we may not even care about as much. So um, every moment of discomfort that you feel, every, every pain that you have... Um, Every every heartache, um, every loss, every joy, every moment of happiness, um, every point of separation you have from someone, God is an imminent God that is present and cares about those things. And He is holding the whole world um, together. So just take moments, um, even now, and, and especially during this week, to think about God's imminent. God is a God that is at hand. I mean, that should greatly aid you in your prayers um, as well, that as you pray, you're not praying to a God that is just transcendent and high above. He certainly is those things, but he is also a God, God that is imminent, that is near and at hand. Um, And we can we can trust in him as such. Um, Any comments or questions about God's eminence? All right. well, We'll keep going. You might actually get through a, uh, all of these. So God's eternality—God being eternal—can someone turn to Genesis twenty-one thirty-three? And then we'll also read the Revelation one eight passage. So God, when we're talking about Him being eternal, is not confined to three-dimensional space or time. God never had a beginning. God will never have an end. So God never had a beginning and God will never have an end. And this even uh, connects to what I shared earlier about thinking about God before um, existence, before in the beginning that we see in Genesis 1, that, that time did not exist before um, God made time. And so when, even when we think of his eternality, that is our way of understanding God has all existed, but eternity in truth means nothing to God because he's, he exists outside of eternity um, and outside of time. Can someone read the Genesis 21, 33 passage? Abraham planted the tree sheep, called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Right. Uh, Nehemiah 9, 5 says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Um, and then in John eight fifty eight, um, Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Which have been really striking um, to uh, Israelites because Abraham was the beginning of their 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 creation. You know that Abraham was the one in which God made the initial promise, and so. For them, when you go back to Abraham, you're like dropping the mic Like that is that is the beginning, um, even though they they would have had um, the accounts of the creation. Abraham still conceptually was the beginning. But Jesus strikingly said before Abraham was, I am not I was I am. Uh, can someone read the Revelation one eight passage? Um, Augustine once again his confession says this and this is just bear with me and listen but if the roving thought of anyone should wander through the images of bygone time and wonder that you God almighty and all creating and all sustaining the architect of heaven and earth did for innumerable ages refrain from so great a work before you made it let him awake and consider that he con- he wonders at false things. For could innumerable ages pass by which you did not make, since you are the author and creator of all ages? Or what times should those be which were not made by you? Or how should they pass by if they had not been? Since, therefore, you are the creator of all times, if, it, if any time was before you made heaven and earth, why is it said that you refrained from working? For that very time you made, nor could time pass by before you made times. Was that confusing to anyone? Anyone? Yeah. It should be confusing. When we think about God's eternality, um, the best way we can comprehend it is God is I am. God is I am. He has always been I am. When he revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am who I am. So, God being eternal means God is existent. He has always existed. He is always present. Um, which I think we, we get to the, the finiteness of our minds because we can only think of things in, in, in terms of time. We always think of a beginning and an end. And that is not, way, not the way we should think of God. He just is. Um, he just is. He is eternal. Um. Any comments or reflections on God being eternal? Um, and, and I'll just comment. I love the Revelation one statement. What, what God says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega." Um, God uses the name Alpha and Omega for our benefit uh, because He has no beginning and He has no end. So God says, "For for me to help you to understand, I'm just going to. I am the Alpha and the Omega." I am your beginning and your end. Because he has no beginning, he has no end. All right, so God is eternal. God is also infinite. Um, and just to talk about this, um, this is um, for us very closely aligned uh, to God being eternal, at least as, ha- as far as we can comprehend it. Um, when we think about God being infinite, um, God is unlimited. Um, this is probably one of the hardest attributes of God that we can comprehend. We're finite beings, and so we, by nature, cannot comprehend infinity. Um, we have a little symbol, the sideways eight, that we use to to talk about infinity. And yeah, every time I see it, I laugh because God would probably laugh at our notion of infinity. He is not bound by anything. Um, Psalm ninety one and two: Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So not only do, uh, when we think of God's eternality, we probably think a little bit more about time, but when we think of infinite, we think of Him dwelling everywhere, Him, Him um, being existent in all times. and then even beyond those scopes of our understanding, God is. So God, God is infinite. Um, God is also immutable. God is immutable. Can someone turn to uh, Psalm 102, verses 26 through 27, and someone else grab the Hebrews thirteen, eight passage. Hebrews 13, 8. So we think about God's immutability. God is complete and perfect. Therefore, God does not need to mature or grow better at being God. God will never be better at being God because he's always been perfect at being God. He is God. That's just who he is. So God has no need of change. He never has changed. Um, He remains the same. Can someone read the Psalm 102 passage? So I'm a professes that um, God will remain, um, and He is the same. And uh, yeah, just just pause there. This is one of the great hopes of the gospel, right? The the gospel is the one thing that we can depend upon for salvation because God does not change. Um, because God does not change, for those in Christ, our salvation is assured. God's immutability is one of, I mean, I don't want to highlight any of his attributes over the others, but in the, in the peculiar work of salvation, it's one that we should hold very sweet because we can trust and depend upon a God that does not change. He is not whimmed to any um, winds that may blow. We can trust that the same God um, that created the universe is the same God here right now. He, he never changes. Um, Malachi 3.6 says this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. How powerful is that? Because God connects his immutability, his unchangingness, with Jacob continuing on, with them not being consumed. If God was immutable, if he did change, they may have been consumed. So that is a sweet um, reality of God. Hebrews thirteen eight. Can someone read that? And we see here ascribed to Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God, is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Um, Once again, from the book Plain Theology for Plain People, um, we foolish, erring creatures are filled with uncertainty, vacillations, changes. But those come out of our imperfections. We need knowledge, wisdom and holiness. Change belongs to man, not to God, who is perfect. So change belongs to us. But it does not belong to God. He has no need of change because he will never change. Any questions or comments on that? All right. Uh, God's preeminence. We can talk about that. No. Um, yeah, so when we see passages like that, uh, I think we should rightfully pause and, and wrestle with that because it would seem as if God is changing his mind. He does that. Um, and, and you'll have some people talk about it slightly differently, but this is kind of the, the, the take I've seen and I, I've read other people's have. When, when we see God in moments, um, talking to his prophets or different people throughout the, um, the Old Testament and him saying one thing and then um, seemingly doing something else. You can even think of the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, I'm going to wipe out everything, but him still saving a lot. God in his graciousness is allowing people to engage with him, um, even with him being sovereign. So um, God in those moments will say something But we have to realize that whatever God's will happens. And so we we just have to also trust that God ultimately, his purpose was for what exactly happened for that to happen. Um, But he is, once again, talking about previously that the the alternate possibilities of what could happen. He is saying this, this could happen. This is what I would desire to happen. And then allowing people um, to then come to him and approach him with our hearts and with our desires and what we share. Um, And we even see this today in our prayers, right? Um, When we think about God's sovereignty, his will happening, and yet us being commanded to pray um, and ask for things, we are still allowed to participate um, in God's sovereign will um, happening. So we're still allowed to come to God and ask and pray to him um, and make our requests be made uh, known to God. Um, and so I, it, it's a mystery that I don't think we'll, we'll ever fully comprehend. But the, the best way to think about God's immutability is God doesn't change. Neither does his thoughts or his plans for reality. And yet he still is an eminent guy. He allows us to to draw near to him. And so we can we can pray to him. Um, we can we can talk to him. And even when he says, you know, these things might happen or I might will them to happen. He is still ultimately going to do specifically what his purpose is and that, that same purpose that he, he created um, before time existed. Um, if that answer is uh, not sufficient, praise God, that's, that's the best I got. Any, any, any comments or, or pushbacks on that? Yeah. His, his immutability is, is very hard to comprehend for us, um, but is a is reality of him. Can you speak up a little? so on Exodus problem
1: it looks like God God is the same, to change differently. So appealed to one but the about or is there something
0: that Yeah, that and this is where I think we sometimes get into the limitations of even human language because it's, it's tricky to describe it that way. Um, and in a moment, we'll talk about another attribute of God, him being independent, him being um, unmoved by external conditions or circumstances. And so anything that happens does not change who God is. Um, yeah. Uh, and when we think about who God is, that particular passage talk about what he does. So I think we can rightfully separate who God is from what he does somewhat and and limitations on language. So so bear with me here. Um, It's not that Moses changed God's mind on that. Um, God related to Moses in a way that he, he shared what his heart was, but God ultimately still did what his his will was. Um, so yeah, I, yeah it, it, limited in how I can describe it but I, I, I personally believe in that particular passage it's not just that God, Moses made this appeal and, and God was really deeply affected in that and he said you know what hey, you, you said that Moses so I'm, I'm going to change my mind that's not exactly how I, I would see that um, but I'm open to, to other ways of thinking about that. It's just, it, it doesn't closely align with some of the other um, attributes we see. Any other comments on that? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's that's a, a way that we can look at it. Um, it's just hard to, to narrow down specifically, well, that's exactly what happened. It could be. It could be multiple things. I mean, we're, once again, we're talking about an infinite God that um, at any given moment um, is accomplishing all of his purposes all at once. Um, we sit down and struggle with completing one task with one purpose or one desired outcome, and God is doing an infinite number of things completing an infinite number of purposes all at once. So yes, God could be doing those things and a million other things all in, in that same moment and we just can't comprehend it. So yeah, I'm um, spend some time, read those passages, read some other passages about God's immutability. It is, it is hard to comprehend but we should in that moment just trust in God's word that he does not change um, and, and rest in that. So there are several other um, attributes that we want to talk about, and I'll highlight a few just for the sake of, of time here. Um, God being preeminent, um, all things were created by him and for him. Um, all things were created by God and for God. He is central to existence, surpassing all others. So when we talk about God's preeminence, him being central to the narrative of reality, it being all about him and for him. Um, the Colossians 115 passage talks about that. Um, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, What uh, doing wonders? Um, so God is preeminent. He is above all things, and they were created for him. So he is central um, to reality. Um, God is independent. He does whatever he pleases. Um, this relates a little bit to his, his omnipotence, his power, but um, this talks specifically about him being independent. God has no need... To act based upon outside forces apart from his own will. He does not act upon outside forces apart from his own will. Uh, Psalm 115 3 Our God is in the heaven, he does all that he pleases. Um, John 5 26 For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God has life in himself, he is independent, he does not need anything to exist. Um, Another pastor says, um, if, if I had need of water or drink, would I ask you? I think it's in Job. Um, Shylin says it like this. Um, Our God is in the heaven. Uh, the perfections of God are not affected at all by human opinion. Everything in the universe is under his control and his uh, rule and dominion. Um, there's nothing in the world that could ever come to pass at last unless he first decreed it. So he is completely independent uh, from any outside forces. God is also incomprehensible. Um, can someone read or go to Job 36, 26? Um, can someone read Job thirty six twenty six? We talk about God's incomprehensibility. Um, the, um, this is no singular aspect of God. There is no singular aspect of God that we could ever fully understand. We know God as much as he reveals to us, which he does based on his pleasure. Um, it's good to pause and think about God's incomprehensibility because this uh, helps us, even as we talk, think about God, that God is still incomprehensible. And we, we, he revealed himself to us. We talked before through nature and through his word. Um, but we're still limited in how much we can understand him. Can someone read the uh, Job 36:26 passage? Uh, Romans 11, 33, 34 says, oh, the death of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For though uh, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. So God truly is incomprehensible to us Um, and. That should not make us uh, read our word less and desire to, to know him more and uh, know, know him less. Um, it should just make us pursue him more. Um, our, our desire and goal in life should be as much as I can. I want to know you, God. We should pursue him. If we know that there is an infinite knowledge of who God is, that means that we will never hit a point in which we have learned or attained all that we could. So let us continue after God all the more because there is no end. Praise be to God. He is, he is majestic. He is great and holy. Um, if, you, if you're married for an extremely long time, for 50, 60 years, you may know your spouse inside and out. There may not be any part of them, really, that you, you might not know except for maybe really small things. And yet, you can spend 100 years walking the face of the earth and 80 years with God and not know a fraction of who he is. He is truly incomprehensible. Um, God is also self-existent, society. Uh I am who I am. We said that before. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Isaiah 46.9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Um, Plain Theology Plain People says again, we cannot duly appreciate self-existence till we consider the forms of life and motion which appear in the creature. That power which by, the, uh, by which the clock points its hand to the passing hours is not in the clock. It came out of the brain and hand of its maker and of him that winds it up. That power with, with, with which the steam engine draws its 40 or 50 cars comes not out of the engine but out of the mind and the machinist and from the heat of the flames in its bowels. Man's life comes not out of himself. It comes from the living God, the fountain of life. It is sustained by his food, his drink and the air round about him. About every four seconds, he must drink in the air in order to keep his little spark of life aglow. His life is not in himself. Not so with God. The sources of life are all in him. The father had life in himself, John five twenty six. So he is self-existent, self-contained, not dependent upon any external source for life. Um, and lastly, we'll talk about God is self-sufficient. God has no need of help outside of himself. John 5, 26, for the, as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself, John 6.63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So God is self-sufficient. Um, God needs nothing from us. And so even as we worship God, um, we're going to be leaving here in a few minutes and um, gathering together and singing God's praises. Um, God does not need our worship to exist. In ancient Roman um, and Greek mythology, the gods depended upon the worship of, um, yeah, their their subjects in order to exist, to gain their power. Without that worship, they were weakened; they had less power. And so, you know, Zeus had more power than anyone else because he was the most worshipped god. And other um, smaller deities had less power because they only had, you know, they only, they only have one temple because that's all their followers do. God is not so; he does not need our worship to exist. Um, our worship is an expression of what we owe him as the creator. It is what is due his name, but God is not dependent upon that. Um, so as we're thinking and, and just closing out, uh, talking about the, the attributes of God um, and, and the incommunicable attributes of God specifically, um, dwelling on the incommunicable attributes of God should ultimately lead us to worship of God, um, to ultimately lead us to worship God, but also to trust in the gospel. And as we think about these incomprehensible um, truths about God, his self existence, self sufficiency, his transcendence, um, we're moved all the more about the reality of the gospel. That this God that is timeless, that this God that has existed before all things, decided to clothe himself in flesh and to be born of one of his creatures. When we think about how great God is and the fact that he Would then allow himself to be clothed in flesh. The infinite God would be a finite human being in that, in in the flesh, in that moment. It's amazing. Um, But not only that, the God that knew no pain, that is uncontrolled by external forces, that became fully God and a fully man, felt pain, felt hunger, um, felt. Felt loneliness at times, felt separation while he was in human form. The Bible tells us that he was made like us so that he can feel what we felt. That that alivens the gospel even more. But then when we think about the fact that the God who has lived, that is life himself, put himself on a tree and died, the eternal God, the one that has always existed, in a point in time died, God died, that makes the gospel even more real to us. But because he was still God, he is still God, He did not stake it, He, he, be, he became alive again. Um, and so thinking about the attributes of God makes the gospel all the more sweeter, because it, 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 it really brings a picture how great the message of the gospel is, that the limitless God would endure such things for our behalf. And so as we think about the gospel, um, the reality of God's saving work in our lives. It should always be in light of how great and awesome he is um, because that makes the gospel all the more sweet for us and so that that should make us cherish what Christ has come and done for us um, and make us desire to see him face to face all the more. Um, yeah thank you. Um, we're going to be talking about the communicable God, attributes of God next week those ways that we can think about God that um, are, are closely to us and yeah, let's spend the week thinking about um, ways in which God is, is far above us. Um, come soon, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. God, you are a God that dwells in unapproachable light, and yet you are near to us. You, God, you existed um, before the world um, and time began, and you will exist forevermore. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise God, we ask that as we think of of you that we would worship you rightly, um, that the truth of the gospel would um, be all the more sweet to us and that it would cause us to fall on our knees um, and to worship you. It would call us to profess your greatness with our mouths. I mean, even give us fuel in this week to come um, to share the good news of the gospel with those that we come with. Um, It should empower us to resist sin, um, thinking of your ever-presence, um, your omnipresence, your omniscience. Use the truth of who you are um, to make us more like Christ. God, we pray as we um, yeah, gather and, and talk and, and pray through your word and, and dwell on James 1 that um, we would see that in light of your greatness. Come we ask these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.